And from Race of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week, how democratic is truth? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. We live in an age when people assume that knowledge should be available equally to all. In matters susceptible of judgment by normal common sense, however, everyone knows there are exceptions. Access to a controlled room for inter intercontinental missiles is limited by universal consent to a very few. Access to the controls of a passenger airline is limited to those with the necessary knowledge for operating them, and also to those with the proper authorization. If people don't see the disadvantages of making more subtle knowledge universally available, it is only because they are ignorant of the risks involved. In the case of subtle knowledge, the main disadvantage in making it universally available is the harm it might do to one who isn't ready for it and who might even mock it. True, by mocking truth, he might undermine the faith of a few truth seekers. But then such tests can also be beneficial as a means of strengthening faith. Again, true, the clever doubters' misinterpretations of those truths may dissuade a few seekers from following the spiritual path. But if a seeker really is sincere, he will recognize the truth eventually because it resonates with his own being. No, the, greater, the great problem occurs to the shallow doubter himself. To give him an opportunity to affirm his ignorance might only estrange him even more from the truth, delaying the time when he will turn, as all people must eventually, to the light. Thus the scripture advise not secrecy, but discretion in the sharing of truth. Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. And Krishna says in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Never speak of this truth to one who is without self-control or devotion, who renders no service, who does not care to hear, or who speaks ill of me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service. My name is Atman. This is Bhakti Marg. It's our pleasure to be here at this wonderful outdoor amphitheater to share with you. Uh, especially, I'd like to welcome those who are here from the Chico Meditation Group on retreat and those who are entering their last week of the yoga teacher training program. So uh, all downhill from here. So to start, I'd like to read from Whispers for Eternity. I, the nightingale of heaven, perched on the boughs of many lives, singing thy songs. My clear song reverberates over soul leaves that flutter with thy life. It thrills the night air in the private gardens of centuries, where many sleep, dreaming sweet fantasies, or again, nightmares of delusion. It wakens some of them with soft touches of thy reverberating cosmic song. 
I fly everywhere and give concerts to express thy joy in bowers of receptive hearts. Oh, I will come again and again to lure all souls with my songs and to teach them thy songs and invite them all to fly like me in thy skies of cosmic freedom. So last week we heard about the need for a guru and with that comes service to the guru and spreading the guru's teachings. And this week, we have a little bit of a warning saying, well, wait a minute, let's take a little step back and say, how do we spread that truth? And there are some things we need to be aware of lest we be casting our pearls before swine. So I wanna talk a little bit about that and some of the pitfalls and some of the important things to consider when spreading the teachings because it is a very important thing to do. It is a source of grace in our lives as devotees, and it's an important part of our path to help spread these teachings. And God knows the world needs these teachings right now. I mean, you just look around and you look at the hatred and the lies and the ignorance and the egotistical buffoonery, and you sort of say, what if everybody just knew what was really going on here and really paid some attention? Wouldn't it be a much better place? Well, guess what? You know, we don't have a magic wand to just say, yes, you all know the teachings now. Why don't you just live them? And, you know, we can't even really live the teachings as well as we should be able to. So you can put that thought aside and it's just not the time yet. We're only 300 years into a new age and the consciousness of the world just isn't going to change to these things, everybody in general. But that doesn't mean that there aren't some people who are going to change. And especially when we're first coming onto the path, we're all very enthusiastic about these teachings and we all really wanna spread the teachings. And I'm sure many of us have experienced some of the pitfalls from the beginning. And I know I certainly did. When I took my first yoga teacher training course, right after that, I came back through my parents' homes and Next thing you knew, there were uh, yoga classes happening in the living room and lectures at the dinner table on right diet and telling people how to live. And my family was gracious, but I don't think they were quite as ready for things as I was. And they listened. And, you know, my mom even came to the yoga class. I don't think I ever got my dad doing yoga in the living room. But, but it, it showed me that, you know, one of the pitfalls they talk about, if people aren't ready, they're not ready. Just because you're ready and you finally came to this doesn't mean they're ready. And at the same time, as I was getting onto the spiritual path, I was also involved in uh, graduate school and academic pursuits. And I was in a rather large scope of a program. It was an interdisciplinary program where we were solving the world's problems of resources, environment, and development. And I came to the conclusion that a yogic philosophy had a lot to offer to that because how could you talk about these things without talking about streams of consciousness in the world and how about individual desires and about the need to change consciousness before changing form? Well, guess what? Academia is a scientific-based, materialistic-based approach. And it's not all that easy to start injecting these sorts of thoughts in there. And it's not easy to find people you can quote in your papers that are trusted that you can put in there. I mean, quoting Yogananda in an academic paper doesn't get you too far. And not only that, uh, academia has this, part of the, the purpose of it is, is to say it nicely, it's to 
hone the critical faculties well so that ideas can be reduced to their true essence. To say it a little less nicely, it's people like to chop off the heads of others so that they appear higher and their ego putting my idea and my ego to the fore is really what it's all about. So these ideas didn't go over that well and I realized that fairly quickly and this was another pitfall. It sort of started giving me doubts because I had a foot in two boats. I had this new way of looking at things and then I had where my other foot was and I didn't want to leave either one. And so as Swami says in the path, you might fall in between the two boats. And it took me a while to get my foot out of that boat and firmly into the spiritual boat. And in a, in a good sense, as it says in the readings, it helps strengthen you. you. You know where you stand when people are trying to chop off your head and make you smaller. And you realize that, yeah, this is truth. And I want to follow this. But it might also take you longer and it might deviate and get you off the path if you're not careful. So you have to be a little bit careful about those environments. So then another pitfall, uh, I resorted to, again, we're, we're, we're always trying to convert our family and friends, first of all. They're the ones closest. And so at an, I remember another time I came home for Christmas and all my brothers and sisters were there and I had just read Swami's book of Brigu things. And so I thought... This is really amazing. And so I'm going to share this. And so if, for those who don't know, the Book of Brigu is an ancient scripture that Swami found in India that has readings about people's lives in there in some detail. And it was written, nobody even knows when, thousands of years ago. And Swami uh, went to in Patalya, Pat, Patalya, anyway, a town in India. Uh, a, <laughs> He found this book, and there was a reading for him, and it, it told him his name. It told him things about his family, things that he didn't even know about his family. It told him about his guru, and it told him about what, how he was following his life, things of past life. Pretty amazing stuff. And he took one of the leaves, and he verified that it was indeed, uh, this was written on palm leaves, indeed very old. And uh, he went and had another reading at another time where new things were said. And they also said, I've already given you one reading, and now you've come for your other reading. And this was, I mean, it's amazing, miraculous stuff. So I shared this with my family. And uh, in hindsight, it's, uh, you know, I can, as I look back on it, I said, you know, the, the response was deafening silence. <laughs> And, you know, my family is one of a German-English heritage where they lead with the intellect. And, you know, you'd expect at least some questioning or to, you know, just, what do you mean about this? And where did they say this? And who was this? And, but there was absolutely no evidence there to grab onto except the fact that Swami Kriyananda had experienced this and said this. And I trusted Swami Kriyananda, but my family... I think it pushed them the other way. They said, okay, you know, yoga postures, that's okay, but whoa, where's this guy getting into now? And no one ever said anything about it. No one ever brought it up again. <laughs> and this points to the pitfalls that, uh, that Swami says in the readings are one of the most difficult, and that's it might push people farther away from the spiritual path by revealing things at the wrong time. And I don't know. Maybe, you know, yoga postures and diet, they were getting there, and all of a sudden, here he comes with things that just didn't fit into any mental picture they had, and they just couldn't grasp it. So who knows? Hopefully I didn't push them too far away. And it's an interesting thing talking about miracles. Uh, Swami 
It's a, it's a standard thing to do. I mean, uh, Yogananda in his autobiography starts in the front piece. Lest ye see signs and miracles, ye shall not believe. And he, you know, goes on to to elucidate some of them in his book. And Swami, when he was a young monk at Mount Washington, went to, uh, he was having a discussion with a fairly materialistic, skeptical person, and he started talking about some of the, mas- some of the master's miracles, some of Yogananda's miracles. And Yogananda caught that thought and told him later, say, oh, when with materialistic, peaceful people, best not to speak of miracles. It's just, it's, they're not ready for it. So with my family and friends, I finally came to the best way to share the teachings was just being and just sharing my vibration with who I was. And I remember I overheard my parents at one point saying something, yeah, you know, Peter, he always used to be, you know, the first one up the mountain and the first one out there and doing all this stuff. But, you know, he's sort of mellowed out. He's kind of just, you know, a little more peaceful and calm. So I figured I was having some, some effect there. So those are some of the pitfalls, and what does that mean? Should we pull back from sharing the teaching? No, as I said before, this is a really fundamental part of our path. Yogananda was an avatar, a descended, enlightened being who came to usher in a new consciousness for a new age. And to do that, he needed to put that out there very broadly, and he needed to have channels who could do that. Who was one of his primary channels? Swami Kriyananda. As he was crossing the country in the bus after having read the autobiography, he wrote in the path, what were my thoughts? My thoughts were, how wonderful are these teachings? Wouldn't it be so fantastic if everyone could hear these and understand them and embrace these teachings? That was really part of Kriyananda from the very beginning. And especially those of us here at Ananda who are following this path, it is really part of our path to ask, act as channels to bring this new age into manifestation, to bring it out there. And so we need to just look a little bit about how do we do that? As the reading says, we need a little discrimination in doing it. It doesn't necessarily mean going full on and talking about the Brook of Brigu with your parents. It means, you know, a little discrimination in how we're doing this. And what, what I like to think about is the image that... that God's knowledge, truth, the gurus, they're all there. It's one and eternal. It's all around us. That's perfect. We don't have to worry about that part of it. In the equation, there's two other parts of it. There's one, there's us, who are trying to receive this grace, these teachings, and transmit it. And then there's the person or persons we're trying to transmit it to, the receiver. So there's the transmitter, there's the source, the transmitter, and the receiver. So first... We need to work a little bit on the transmitter, us. That's the one we have the most control over. It's the one we can really look at the best. First thing you want to look at is, why am I sharing the teachings? How am I doing this? Am I coming from a place of ego? Am I coming from a place of wanting to impress people, of wanting their approval, of wanting to see high and mighty and a great spiritual source? Am I doing this in a way that's intellectually clever, that I will impress people with how well I can do these teachings. This is another pitfall I found myself in at the beginning of the path. I, of course, coming from my academic training, first dove in with an intellectual mind into the teachings. And at one point, I remember thinking, yeah, I've got this down. I got the vocabulary. I know the concepts. I know how all this stuff follows. Yeah, I could, I could teach this. I know how to do this. But guess what? I didn't have a clue what this is really about. Sure, I could go through the steps intellectually in a clever, rational way, but I didn't really know what was behind that because I hadn't practiced it enough. So 
be clear what your motives are. Next thing you need to know is make sure you're doing this and it is a selfless service, nishkam karma yoga. Action without the desire for the fruit to the actions. If you're there imparting these teachings because you want someone to become a member of Ananda, you want someone to become a donor, you want someone to come to the Expanding Light Retreat, you want somebody to convert to this path, guess what? You've got some barriers up there still. Your filters aren't clear and open channels, and that's perceived by somebody, and it's going to turn them off. It's going to say, oh, wait a minute, you know, what's this person doing? You know, they're trying to convert me. I don't want to have any of that. They're trying to have some kind of authority here. So you really have to give up any sense that there's, you're trying to do anything. You're just offering these teachings from one being to another, yourself to another self, and just give it up to God. You also, and this is very important, for especially for those who are nearest to you, your family, your spouse, you are not the guru. Remember that. You're channeling. You are not the guru. It is not your place to discipline your spouse, to point out all their, all their shortcomings, all the things that they're not following the path. It's not your place to do that for your children. You are offering to teach them in a service of selflessness, in a service of serving the God in them. So those are important things. Getting, that, getting rid of that filters in your own sense, getting rid of your barriers. And you need to look at, okay, who am I trying to impart these teachings to? And this is where the reading, the Bhagavad Gita reading comes in and gives us a little, some clues. And it's not that these are black and white. Everybody's kind of on a continuum here. And you just have to say, what's appropriate for this person that I'm talking to? And the first thing you want to look at is their, as it mentions in the Gita, the ability for self-control. If somebody has no interest, desire, or ability to discipline themselves, to control their desires, their emotions, they're not going to get that far, and they're not going to be able to do much with what you teach them. So you need to say, can this person you know, really stay focused. If it's going to be, oh, yeah, Yogananda, this is fantastic. And, you know, and tomorrow I'm going down to the rock concert, and that's going to be, wow, we're going to dance over there, and then I'm going to go over doing this. You know, if they're bouncing all over the place, they might seem like they're interested, but they're not going to get very far. A little self-control. Do they have a sense, perhaps, of devotion? Are they approaching this with a intellectual uh, ability to pick this apart? And I just, you know, a sort of a curiosity... And, or are they really approaching this with a sense that there's something higher that I'm trying to get to, that I'm trying to give my life to, that there's something beyond my own ego that I'm trying to get away from? So uh, a sense of devotion. They may, not call, they may not call it that, but again, it's just this openness. Next one, render selfless service, the ability or the desire to be able to render selfless service. What's that about? It means I'm not just taking these teachings for myself. I'm doing it because I want to be able to serve. I want to become a better person. I want to send these out also in the world because if someone's just taking it for themselves, it's not going to get very far again. And again, you have to see what are the motivations? What are they looking at? And the last two that they <coughs> talk about in the Gita is that there, there's an interest in God and that there's, uh, they're willing to, to look at what God is, to look at this. They're, they're not... They're not rejecting God. They're not rejecting or speaking falsely or speaking uh, against those teachings. Because if they are, if there's, even if there's this sense of, you know, an iconoclastic 
criticism that I'm just, you know, here to learn this because I'm going to show these people and, you know, have they really, they haven't really thought this through. And, you know, I'm going to help them think this through because, you know, I don't really like God and I don't really, you know, I want to push this away and I'm going to show that these teachings aren't right. If there's that sense, if there's that consciousness of somebody you're trying to share with, it's not going to get very far and you need to temper your your message in a way that they they can understand something or you can move them maybe on the next step or maybe just leave them alone depending on how far how far uh, out on this side they still are because remember everyone eventually is going to come to this it's our true nature it's where we're going to go and we don't want to delay that time by trying to give them too much too soon the last thing you need to be really aware of is the form you know, if we were all in the causal world or even the astral world, you'd just be able to transmit, you know, God, thought, God, boom. No filters, no problems, no language. But guess what? We're full of filters and language and forms and concepts. And the receiving station's forms and concepts may have already been tweaked in a certain way or structured or frozen in a certain way. And... They may not want to hear about, uh, they may be sort of, as soon as they hear the word God, they may be stuck into uh, sin, guilt, uh, eternal condemnation. Well, if you start talking about God, guess what's going to happen? Whoosh, it shuts down. Those barriers come across. You're not getting anywhere with them because they're just going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh my, it's the nuns again, the Catholic nuns. Oh, no. <laughs> so you have to be aware of what the cultural biases are. What's their past? What's their intellectual framework? that they can relate to, and then find that framework where they can take their next step. And Swami, look at Swami's life. He was a master at doing this. He wrote books in all different fields for all different audiences. And it wasn't just Swami Kriyananda about Kriya Yoga. It was J. Donald Walters talking about education for life, how to uplift consciousness of children. It was talking about how to be a good leader. It was talking about how to have hope for a better world, looking at some of the pitfalls of Western consciousness. He barely, even in those books, barely even mentioned God, Guru, Kriya Yoga, because part of this mission is a much, much broader change in consciousness. And we can reach people where they are. If people can't, if people are going to be turned off by pictures of the gurus in front of them, that's okay. Share with them where they are. If they can get the idea, I need to calm my mind, I need to get de-stressed. That's a great place to start. That'll help them open up to the teachings as we come. And it's our, it's our joy, it's our mission to be able to help do that for the masters. And it's interesting, this Bhagavad Gita passage where it warns about giving the people without self-control or devotion or willing to speak evil of me. The very next stanza, which is chapter 18, uh, the, the 68th stanza, it says, Whosoever with supreme devotion will give these supreme secrets to my sincere devotees, will surely attain me. So right there, the promise is, this is a path to God by sharing those teachings, by serving the guru, by putting those out there. And Yogananda used to say, the best prayer, the supreme prayer is, Lord, give me, my, give me thyself that I may share thee with all. <laughs>